is for freedom, therefore, that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom, therefore, that Christ has set you free. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Friends, you have been set free. You have been set free for freedom. You have been set free to walk in freedom. And the Son has set you free indeed. You've been set free not to do what you want, but to become who you were created to be. You are free to be everything he has called you to be. Anything you have ever heard, anything you have ever believed, contrary to that, is a lie. You have been set free by the triune God to be what he's called you to be. Therefore, let us throw off every yoke that so easily entangled us and run with perseverance the race that is before us, because you are free indeed. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, for this group that has gathered here today in your presence and filled with the Spirit of God as your church, I pray, O oh God, that you would right now open our hearts and open our ears, open our minds to the work that your Spirit would do among us. Come against, O oh Lord, the lies of the enemy that tell us we are bound, that tell us that our past traps us, that tells us our past has defined us, but may we be a group of people who stand before you now, free in the Spirit of God, set free by the Son of God for the purposes of God Almighty. Let your peace settle down upon this place, O Lord, now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Be seated in the presence of God. Amen. Well, we're off to a rousing start. This morning we want to talk about holiness. And to come up with a creative tagline that I trusted would appeal to some of you and draw some of you in, we're going to do it in terms of tattoos, Tinder, and tequila. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm thinking this is probably the first time I've seen tequila up on that screen, or Tinder either for that matter, maybe the last, so fix your eyes upon it now while you get a chance. <laughs> By ways of example, we are looking at tattoos. There's Mr. Cavey with a lovely tattoo of Leviticus 19.28 on his arm, Tinder, and tequila. Of course, if I had taken a picture of that, it would have been lime juice, but you would not know the difference. Here's the thing, the Bible says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
So we sing, you know, and this is a generation that loves to sing and worship, and we sing about knowing God, we sing about experiencing God's presence, love to be in His presence. We even have heaven uh, greeting earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Bless God. But the Bible says, without holiness, no one will actually see the Lord, which makes this a really important topic. Agreed? In fact, we're told to be holy because God is holy. We are told to be holy because God is holy. So it helps us to first know what holiness is. In some circles, it looks like this. I grew up with people who thought that was a pretty good representation. And then I'm always reminded of this poster from many years ago. Lips that talk lip touch liquor shall never touch ours. Now I looked at some of them and I'm thinking that's probably not your biggest issue. <laughs> In fact, a little liquor might have helped. <laughs> and we have this. This is what our older pastors tried to look like. I like Skipper's mustache there on the side all the same. That's pretty happening. The question is, what does holiness look like in 2017? Because you know what? Let me tell you something. You cannot aim for something if you don't know what it is. Holiness cannot be this ethereal, this fuzzy, this gray, floaty concept in your lives or you'll never get there. It's got to mean something. So when you think of holiness, what do you think of? Well, I know most of us, we think of this right off the bat. When we are looking for examples of holiness right there, three living, walking examples, all with their southwesters on from Newfoundland, which, of course, is, resembles much a halo. <laughs> if you're in the sem, you may think of this. If your philosophy, of course, this is your personal examples of holiness right here. <laughs> if you're Calvinist, of course, you kneel... <laughs> Nowhere to go with that, really. And of course, if you're new for you, know it's this. <laughs> I mean, you're thinking about, I mean, right there, right? Right? Hey? This is a sign my students have way too much to do, or not, uh, not enough to do. Holiness, of course, comes from Hebrew and Greek words, which mean two things to be set apart for God's use and free from sin. So in a sense, you're positionally holy now because you have been justified. You have been set apart for God's use. But it's also a process. You are being sanctified throughout your lives. You are being continually set apart for the use of God. Similarly, you are being made free from sin. So it has two meanings there. So the questions are twofold. How can you best be set apart for God's use. So the picture here is that you have, go back to the Old Testament, you have goblets and other things that were used only in the worship of God. So what you need to know is that as a believer, serving Christ, the Spirit of God living in you, you have been set apart for God's use. That's your life. God gave you an indescribable gift, and the only solitary thing you have to give back that he wants is your entire life. You are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. So you've been set apart. And then how can we keep free from sin? 
This, I suspect, is a big question. How do we keep free from sin? Well, holiness folk years ago were concerned with avoiding outward acts. This is where I come from, holiness tradition. Smoking, drinking of alcohol, dancing, improper clothing choices, gambling, divorce, it was all sin. Pretty well anything that made you smile was a sin. If you were in doubt, it was a sin. Safe bet. It was all sin. So growing up, of course, our elders wouldn't cook their dinner on Sunday. They would not cook on Sundays. I couldn't ride my bike on a Sunday. Growing up, that was forbidden. We could get in the car and go drive and get an ice cream, but I couldn't ride my bike. And even at 10, I would ask my father, what's the difference in you taking your four wheels and me taking my two wheels? I was told to mind my own business, which is a common holiness response to some of these questions. All movies growing up for me were sin. Until then in grade nine, when Billy Graham put out one on the rapture. That really messed us up. Because it's a movie, obviously, from the devil, but Billy Graham made it. Yeah, that, that caused us a fair bit of consternation. We had a great split between sacred and secular music. And what you see behind you, in case you don't know, is a cassette tape. Yes, we used to listen to those. And I, growing up in my home, was not allowed to listen to anything secular. We could only listen to Christian music. Now, the whole classical composers messed them up a bit because they couldn't tell if they were uh, a Christian or secular because they sang a lot of German and stuff like this. And some of them wrote hymns, but some of them looked a bit funny. So who knew really? <laughs> well, of course, in the last 30 years, we've seen a fair swing. And you will know if you're here and you're younger, and I'm speaking in some ways primarily to those of you who are students, you may know that older generations are not all that impressed with your levels of holiness. You ever pick that up in your church? Yeah, they think you're pagans. <laughs> and sometimes for good reason. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I follow some of you on social media. Now, <laughs> I don't think actually that you have an issue with holiness. I don't think you lack a desire to be holy. I just think no one has ever really told you how. See, when I grew up, it was pretty easy because it was don't, 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 don't. The rules were drawn very clearly. In 2017, the rules are not nearly so clear. It seems much more fuzzy. And, of course, we had the advent of all kinds of new technologies, such as Snapchat. Now, I should define some of these for those of you who are here and you're older and you don't have Snap. How many of you guys have Snap? Yes, exactly. So this is an app created. Let me see if I can do this in my best. This is an app created for really, really modest people, and they send other people their lovely pictures, but they're concerned that these other people will be infatuated with it, so the program is designed to delete the picture after 10 seconds just so you don't get led into pride. How's that? <laughs> Snapchat. We have Tinder. Uh, this is an app created so that Christians in the area can find other Christians to do devotions with. <laughs> You're really into 1 John. You can't really understand it. You hop on Tinder. You swipe right. And next thing, you have a buddy for studying 1 John. <laughs> Tinder. As the Bible says, it only takes a spark to get a good fire going. That's the idea. We have Bumble created uh, specifically for women who themselves are needing devotional partners and they get to reach out first uh, to choose the guy that they want to do Bible study with. 
And then we have Instagram. Instagram is a tool of humility where everybody takes their very worst pictures to show what you look like in real life, share it with other people in hopes that they will be encouraged that they're actually as ugly as you are. That's Instagram. How am I doing so far? I am 46. You can't be expecting me to know all about this stuff. Then we have the carefully coiffed Mr. Sheeran. We have the Biebs and Selena. Have things like Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto. We have a number of you following every wish and whim of the Kardashians who seem to be experts mostly at getting you to follow them. We have YouTube, which is changing your generation completely. You can find anything you want in visual form. You have guys like Tyler Oakley with literally millions of people hanging on his words. And then one of my favorites, (laughs) Netflix and Chill. Now, to understand this properly, for those of you who are older, chill means something different now. (laughs) Probably not what you're thinking. Netflix and chill now is very popular, apparently, and even at this church where students, Fuse is kicking off a new event, Netflix and chill tonight in the parking lot of the church. (laughs) I guarantee you, you do Netflix and chill in your church parking lot, you may see an increase in numbers, including your board members. If you're going to post stuff on social media, please be sure to understand what it is you are posting. I take note also that this was the 16th of October. If this was in Newfoundland, you're going to be doing Netflix and chill in the parking lot of the church. You're going to need some blankets. (laughs) Or you're going to freeze parts of you you didn't know you had. So here's our question. You with me so far? I sense somehow you are. You have all of these things floating around from your music to your video games to the people you followed. You know that many of you are more influenced by people like the Kardashians than you are by the Spirit of God. Only because you allow more of that stuff in your life. In preaching class, this is what we call a pregnant pause. You have all this stuff. And we don't clearly want to go back to the time when we were beaten to death with rules that we didn't even really understand. So how do we do this? Well, the reality is God's approach to this and ours is often polar opposite. You see, this is God's primary question. How's your heart? All the rules that my my forebears followed they were good people. I mean, they had good intentions, but they're all designed to take care of the outside. Jesus talks about this. They wouldn't cook. They wouldn't shave on Sundays. You couldn't ride your bike. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. It was all about how you dressed. This takes care of the outside. God, when you're thinking about your holiness, God wants to know this question primarily. How is your heart? How is your heart? We ask this question. What are you doing? What are you doing? God is primarily about this question. Who are you becoming? And see, sometimes we focus so much on the things we do, good or bad, we forget that the point of everything 
in God's sight is who you're becoming. It's the reason some of you are right now suffering badly and you can't figure out, you can't figure out why God has left you there, you can't figure out why he's let these things happen to you, and the primary reason is because God is interested in more than you're right now. God is interested in the man and woman of God that he's pulling you out to be, and you grow best in times of struggle. You grow best in times of trial. You grow best in times when you figure out that He is all you've got, and then He's all you need. And that's why some of you are suffering right now, because He's interested in this. Jesus calls us to more than a click. He literally wants us to follow Him. We have a sense of following now whereby I follow Dr. Nelson on social media so I get to see what she does and where she's been and what she likes and some of her favorite recipes. That's not what Jesus means. Jesus means, here am I, look at how I live, live like me. Live like me. We focus so much on the external, and God begins always on the internal, and he begins with this approach to holiness, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And he does this because he knows if we possess these fruit that the Spirit grows in our lives in abundance, he won't have to worry about the external so much because our natural inclination becomes Christ-like. The inside always works outside, but the outside rarely works its way back in. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. So that's our setup. Here's the big question. How do we figure out sin? Sin is not real popular anymore to talk about because we've overreacted a bit to the churches that beat people over the head with this all the time. And now we want to talk about love, and we should, and we want to talk about justice, and we should, and we want to talk about these things. But there is still a place in the church to talk about sin and to warn God's people that you can sin, you can miss the mark, you can miss God's best for you. But I think part of the reason some of you struggle is you have no real way at times of figuring out how we do this. And so here's what I want to do in my remaining minutes is break this down for you. There are still, contrary to the relativistic society you live in, absolutes. There are absolutes, absolutely. And the Bible presents some absolutes, and some of these are presented as commands to be obeyed by all of us at all times. And I just want to give you an example or two of these. You can dispute some of this if you'd like. I'd be happy to talk to you after. But this is a command. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you or bully you or are mean to you, or insult you, or put you down, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love them. Pray for them. We don't get even. This is a command for everybody at all times. Here's another one. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to the good. 
Never thought I'd let a full sermon go and not make any Pentecostal reference, did you? Do not stifle the Holy Spirit like the wind he blows where he wishes. It's one of the fallacies of the modern church that we think we can give him rules and he'll obey. That we can have structures and he will only move inside our structures. That we can do doctrine and he will adhere only to what we think is proper. You cannot control nor contain the Spirit of God. And he is moving in your life and he is moving in the lives around you right now in ways that we don't even perceive. And there are some people in this room begging God right now for a sign. You are begging God to move in your life and God has already been moving. And the issue is not in God's moving, it's in our discernment. He's given you your answer. He's already at work in your life, but you don't recognize it because with your request for God move, you already told him how. Now, the sooner you figure out that God almost never does things the way you want him to do it, the happier you all are going to be. Discernment. And some things are listed specifically in Scripture as sin for everybody at all times. This is one of them. I like this passage better now that I'm married. Flee sexual sin. You don't really understand this well till you get married. All other sins a person commits are outside their body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. God bought you for a great price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to condemn you if this is your thing. But I am here to tell you God has a better plan for you. I am here to tell you that God has created the expression of sex to be inside a marriage between a man and a woman. And it is his best and it is his plan. And it's given here and in scripture as a command for everybody at all times. To do otherwise is a sin. But this is where we struggle with all of the things that the Bible doesn't specifically talk about. They're the gray areas. And this is where tattoos, tinder, and tequila come up. Now, two tattoos, some will quote the lovely verse in Leviticus 19.28 that basically says you should not get a tattoo. It's true, the Bible says that. But if you're going to handle Leviticus properly, then you have to handle Leviticus properly. Because the same chapter will put what I'm wearing into sin because it's clothing made out of more than one kind of material. All you people out there in your polyester cotton judging the people who got tattoos are hypocrites. Not to put too fine a point on it. Because that same chapter says, don't wear clothing made out of more than one kind of material. It also says to all the people where I come from, don't plant your potatoes and your turnips in the same piece of garden. It says that. It says, don't trim the edges of your beards. Men or women, I presume. <laughs> it says, when the aged come in, rise in their presence. All of you fellows out here, when your professors come in, you should be rising. Because we're all aged. I'm feeling it more every day. So you have to take that verse like the others there in its context of Israel's ceremonial law. Now, when it comes to Tinder, of course, the Bible couldn't really foresee that there was going to be a time when you could swipe right or swipe left to hook up. You had to go through a little more work in that in the first century. So there is no verse that says, thou shalt not partaketh in Tindereth. <laughs> so it's not an absolute. Tequila, I think we've concluded, 
that the Bible does not come out expressly against the consumption of alcohol whatsoever. Alcohol was a large part of the first century. It does give very clear guidelines on drunkenness, which we could be sure tequila contributes to very often, but would not condemn directly. So here's what I want to leave with you. This would be useful to some of you. I've done this for many years, and and I think it's brought some clarity to people. First of all, folks, the Holy Spirit's going to have to be involved. You want to live a holy life in this day and age with all the temptations you have? The Spirit's going to have to be involved. Way back in Ezekiel, God said, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you, which happened at Pentecost, and I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. The Spirit helps keep us free from sin. Romans says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Today, however, many people I notice, they live as if they're free to sin. And the same thing was happening in Romans. It's like I have rights, and you'll see this type of thing. Our rights come from God. In reality, no. Christians, you don't have rights. You have grace. If God were to give, you, give us our rights, we'd all be separated from him from eternity. You don't want your rights in the kingdom of God. You want grace and mercy. We don't want to be fighting for our rights. That's the thinking of the world having crept into the church. Everything you are, everything you've been given, everything you will be comes by the grace of God alone. It is unmerited favor given by a God whose mercies are new every morning. I don't want my rights. I want my grace. I want his grace. You need to know biblical principles on this stuff. After you seek the Holy Spirit, you're going to need to know what the Bible says. And so the Bible gives a variety of principles. Whatever is true, noble, right, lovely, admirable, think on these types of things. 1 Peter 3.8, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. It goes for all of you, no exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. Now, I have to take just a moment here to respond to Peterson on his translation there because, yes, I speak fluent sarcasm. In fact, I'm so sarcastic sometimes that really what I need is a font so people can properly understand my text. My students will know this is to be true. Some of you may disagree with me on this, and I would, I would say something probably like this to you. Isn't that a great line? This is one of these you can't use except with people with whom you can say, uh, I'm sorry after, that kind of thing. However, it's good for you that I'm sarcastic because otherwise all I'd have is this. And ain't nobody in this room wants to see that. Trust me. Two more. Consider the weaker Christian in everything. When it comes to tattoos, tinder, tequila, things like this, Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Be careful that the exercise of your freedom doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. 
How this works is that you pray about something and you believe it's okay for you to do, but you know there are many eyes watching you who are not as strong in the faith. This is what happens to me with social drinking. For 17 years now, I've taught both of our youth camps, junior and senior high, and almost every single year, kids ask me, do you drink? And I feel like I could. I feel like I would have that liberty, don't think God's going to fall off his throne, not going to change the economy of heaven a bit in the world. But every year I get these 14 and 15-year-olds ask me, and I'm afraid that I could do something that for me would be okay, but would lead them, because they've seen me now speak for so many years, into something that for them is wrong. And so it therefore becomes for me a sin, because the biblical principle is I am more concerned about you than I am about me. When it comes to all of this, friends, it is not about your rights. You are more concerned about your brother and sister than you are about yourself. That's the kingdom of God. Think about your witness in the community. This applies more in some places than others. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that although even if they accuse you of wrongdoing, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God. And finally, ask God for wisdom. Wisdom seems to be a more rare commodity these days. But James says very clearly, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So let me leave you with five questions. These are the five questions. Anything you want to do, you can run through this grid. If you don't get them down and you want them, email me and I'll send them to you. Holy Spirit, is this wrong for me to do? This can go down to everything from buying a video game to being invited out to a club to dating the new and hottest person that's crossed your path. This is when you thank God for his creation. Good God, what a job you did on her. That kind of idea. <laughs> Holy Spirit, is this wrong for me to do? See, you got to involve the Spirit. He lives in you. He's called the Spirit of holiness. He'll help you with this stuff. What principles are taught in the Word about this issue? You pray, you ask the Lord if it's okay for you to have a drink. The Lord says, okay. And then you've got to ask what principles. Well, the principles are that you don't drink too much, that you don't get drunk, that you don't lose control of your faculties. By doing this, might I cause somebody weaker than me to copy me and do something that for them is wrong? Always concerned about the other person. By doing this, could I damage my reputation and witness to Jesus in my community? And is this a wise decision? Some things are neither or. Maybe you just want the latest iPhone 7 and you're going to spend your money on it. And even that you pray about and you say, yeah, it's okay. And I'm not going to lead anybody into sin. And the principles of the word are not contrary to this and all of these types of things. And God still says, that's a waste of your money. And worse than that, he says, is a waste of my money. It's just not wise. You don't need it. And so, friends, anything you go to do, from tattoos to Tinder to tequila, hallelujah, you can run through this grid. But you know what I suspect? Many of you will not get all of your practices through these five questions. Because at some point between, is this okay for me to do? And is this damaging my reputation? The Holy Spirit's going to say, you need to stay away. You need to stay away. 
So we have our absolutes that are commanded. We have our absolutes that are forbidden. But in all these gray areas, we seek the Spirit. And I guarantee you, some of you have never had a prayer answered, but you start praying to Jesus about Tinder, and woo, you'll get prayers answered just like that. Because he will speak to you. Stand with me, if you would. We're going to close. The band is uh, just going to play for us. I want us to have a couple of minutes in the presence of God and be assured He's here. The Spirit of God is here. And what I want us to do, just very quietly, where we are, is offer ourselves up to God and give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you right now about holiness. This is not going to be condemning. If you hear a voice of damnation and condemnation, that's the enemy. That is not the Spirit of God. He doesn't speak that way. If you get reminded of your past, if you get reminded just of all the bad stuff you've done and you feel horrible, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will come in in a loving way. He will convict only ever with a goal towards restoration. You'll know it's the Spirit speaking because He pulls you towards love. He pulls you towards forgiveness. He pulls you towards healing. And He pulls you to be better, not to hate yourself. It's the difference in conviction and condemnation. Spirit of God, I pray right now in this room you would speak ever so quietly to hearts that are gathered. We are your people, O God. We we seek to honor you. We seek to be holy. Help us, O Lord. Speak to us right where we are in these coming minutes.